The doc is in, and there's no need to stay in the waiting room for this episode of Health 411. Join Dr. Jonathan Karp as we discuss topics from health insurance to personal diet and exercise to up-to-date conversations in the healthcare industry and more. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Ripovich Institute for New Jersey Politics and Rider University. Rider offers continuing studies programs for adults who need flexibility. Once to add new skills to your resume, take a continuing studies course at Rider University. Now, let's see what the diagnosis is for this week's episode of Health 411. 107.7 The Bronx, 107.7 TheBronc.com, proudly nominated for National Associated Broadcasters 2019 and 2021 Marconi Award for Best College Radio Station. We are broadcasting live from the Bronx, all new digital broadcast studios. Welcome to Health 411. I'm your host, Professor Jonathan Karp. This Health 411 program is presented by Rider University. In Health 411, we discuss a variety of issues affecting health and wellness, public health, healthcare policy, and the politics of health and healthcare. Our goal is to expand your knowledge and perspective to make you think about things. Today, Dan Gaines and I, Dan is our student producer, we are going to have a conversation um, about corporate America and some of the uh, steps, some of the things that corporate America does to um, avoid paying for bad behavior. Am, am I being polite? Yeah, that's, that's one way to put it. Avoid paying for bad behavior. Avoid paying for destroying the environment. Similar things. Yeah, and, and some of these things have health consequences because um, all of us know that the, the things that, that things that are in the air that we breathe, things that are in the water that we drink, things that are on the foods that we eat, um, things that are in the ground that get into the foods or get into us. Um, there's also examples of products that people use, and some of them... Um, are not some of them are not innocuous. Some of these things can actually cause damage to us acutely or have long-term consequences in us, in terms of cancer or neuro neuropsychiatric disease and stuff like that. Um, and some of these companies don't start off to be bad players or to be, you know, we live in a society where legally some of these companies are considered people and you know in the, on the political uh, arena they are and they ha can mm -hmm. donate money and things like that but we're not going there um but let's start with the story that that i was inspired by a recent for today's program i was inspired by seeing an article in the new york times and i shared that article with dan and the new york times article um was about dupont the company um the the chemical company dupont and DuPont, um, for a lot of years now, um, has been making a, uh, a family of chemicals, um, you know, and they're polyfluoroalkyl substances and perfluoroalkyl substances. And um, there's no reason for any of us to know what those things are. <laughs> but um, if you look at what they do, they actually can improve the quality of life. And you see things that use these chemicals all the time because you know those of us who cook for example like um, it's very nice to have a pan that you can cook in and then when you're done cooking it's easy to clean because nothing sticks 
Oh, that's what that company Yeah, that's one of the things they do. So these kind of chemicals that you can apply to metals, and I'm not really sure about how they get them to stick, but these chemicals stick to the, the metal that they're applied to. Yet when food substances get on them, um, the food doesn't stick and you can wipe them off. And we, we see commercials for them on TV. We see them in stores all the time. They come in different colors. You can do all this sort of stuff. And they're a nice sort of... Um, um, makes it a lot easier. They're a nice thing yeah. to have. You know, we want pans that are easy to clean and things like that. Um, the interesting thing is, is that these are made, these chemicals are made by chemical companies. And DuPont is one of the major uh, chemical companies in this country. Um, and they make these chemicals. And the issue at hand, and what the New York Times article was about, uh, I'll give you a hint, the title of the New York Times um, article is How Chemical Companies Avoid Paying for Pollution. And um, that sort of gives you a hint of where we're going. Because apparently in the, the production process uh, for these chemicals, not some not so nice chemicals are produced. Um, mm -hmm. And there's a chemical, it, it, it's actually called Gen X, and it's not related to Generation X. <laughs> I'm, I bet you thought that, man, when you first... When you first no, started. I did short a little. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and what it's sort of interesting because these chemicals are now being, you know, put out, made, they're being used in industrial purposes, but these chemicals have a long history of escaping these plants. Some of these chemicals are byproducts that were discovered, what their mm -hmm. properties were like set later on. But these chemicals are sort of getting out of chemical plants. They're getting into water, they're getting into the soil, and they're getting into the wells um, of people who use the water, they're getting into rivers, they're washing downstream. And these um, chemicals, these polyfluoroalkyl substances, or PFAS chemicals, are mm -hmm. part of a family of chemicals that are called forever chemicals. And uh. what that means is these forever chemicals, they're not broken down by light, they're not broken down by soil bacteria, they're not necessarily so they broken just down. remain. They, they remain, they're here forever when, when they get out. That's and, not yes, and so, what what to do with these chemicals? It's great that they have some some, you know, use in, in this sort of thing that people can use them. However, these are not new chemicals. And for example, um, you know, you know, going back to the 1960s, which is now what, 50, 60 years ago now, um, you know, there were links between these PFAS chemicals and health problems, um, including cancer and liver damage. Um, in, in laboratory animals. And, um, and for at least 20 years now, it's been known that chemical plants, and the, the chemical plant that the articles this, is, this one's about is in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Um, and there's a lot of things down in Fayetteville and um, from the military establishments mm -hmm. there and stuff like that. I've actually been to Fayetteville. Have you been to Fayetteville, Dan? Uh, yeah. Sounds, sounds like you have been. Yeah, basically. I believe I've been there for like yeah. a family reunion. Yeah, it's it's... You know, it's a very blue-collar kind of kind of town um, with a military presence, um, and it's sort of interesting because around some of the chemical plants, um, these forever chemicals, these PFAS chemicals, are in the water, they're in the ground, and they're every, they're everywhere. And there's no doubt that these things are not good chemicals. And I think everybody admits that, you know, these things should yeah. not be being excreted by these chemical plants into the surrounding areas. 
It's also kind of interesting to think about because with a lot of these plants, they do have some sort of disposal, like lake on treatment grounds or something mm-hmm. like that. A- actually, that that's a yes, they do. They, the, in, in the old days, what they used to do for some of these chemicals is they would create these storage bins. And this is not just in Fayetteville. This is actually in my community in my old community here in New Jersey, they're, they're going back into the 1940s and 1950s, there was a, um, a radium plant where they would, you know, the kind of watches that would glow mm-hmm. for like airline, the, you know, people would paint things that would glow. Um, they created waste too. And in the old days, they would, you know, have these jugs of all this industrial waste and they would tell some, somebody to go out in the back and dump it. And sometimes they would dump it into these concrete pits that would sort of store it and eventually if it got filled, they would just cover up the pits. But, you know, 20, 30, 40 years later, what happens to these concrete things? They start to dissolve. They start to leak. You know, it's concrete. It cracks. The ground moves. The ground shoots. And um, it's created what we sometimes call here in New Jersey these Superfund sites. I live down the street <laughs> yeah. from a closed one. Yeah, well, there, there, there are several of them here in New Jersey, especially the areas in New Jersey that going back, you know, 50, 60, 70, I guess, you know, 50, 80 years now, we're out in the boonies, we're out in the middle of nowhere. You know, why did, you know, why was some of the, you know, the early development during World War II, some of the stuff that happened in the area that Ryder is, was way out in the boonies. So like, the, you know, AT&T had the pole farm where they were trying to study, you know, um, you know, um, transatlantic communications without using cables and things like that because you know way out here nobody was around it was out in the country same sort of thing um you know nobody would argue that right around Ryder now is out in the country anymore but at one time it was and in Fayetteville too I'm sure that one time some of these 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 factories out there were doing things and no one ever thought that ever be people around or anything about well anyway what's of interesting and we're going to talk about um in, in following segments, how corporate America is dealing with some of the waste that is that historically has been put out there and even putting out there now. And there's examples of that from asbestos being in, in Johnson & Johnson's baby powder to the Purdue Pharma opioid kind of crisis. There are things that companies are doing, right, to sort of avoid the consequences of their bad behavior. And some of the things that these companies are putting out are things that have health consequences, yeah. right? And, and so that's where we're going to go. That's what we're going to talk about today. Um, and so we'll be, please stick around. We'll be right back with more Health 411 after these brief underwriting announcements. You're listening to 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. This is Health 411, truthful health information to expand your knowledge and perspective. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Rebovich Institute for New Jersey Politics and Rider University. Continue your studies with Rider University's online and part-time options at rider.edu slash next step. We're back with Dr. Jonathan Karp, only on 1077 The Bronx. 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com. We're recording from the Digital Bronx Studios on the Lawrenceville campus of Ryder University. Welcome back. I'm Professor Jonathan Karp, and Dan Gaines and I are, are having a conversation today about corporate behavior, corporate responses to things that, that they know have health consequences. 
And an example that was in a recent New York Times was about Dow Chemical. Um, if you looked up now Dow Chemical and you looked up um, some of these um, forever chemicals, not much would show up because everybody agrees these chemicals are bad. Going back, there's a lot of documents that are bad. And, you know, there have been efforts now. In fact, this article starts as saying that, you know, somebody was taking a tour of one of these chemical plants nowadays, and they were boasting they have all this cleanup stuff, how much money they're investing in it. Um, and that, for, you know, the answer is that doesn't always mean it works. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of that stuff is for show. A lot of that stuff's for touring. Even in Theranos, you know, they would not, they would, you know, limit when they brought people around for tours what they could see when they knew that some bad behavior was going on. And I think that's pretty typical. You put on your best face when you bring people around. It reminds me of um, that one movie with uh, Jonah Hill (laughs) where they go to, like, North Korea. I forget what it's called. I don't don't know the movie. But it's like they go to North Korea and it's like everything's great. And then as they're leaving, like, this... The people smiling falls down and it's just like a cardboard sign. Oh, right, right, right. Okay, I, I think I, I think I've heard about this movie and it was right. You can make the joke about North Korea or the old Soviet Union uh, before the Berlin Wall went down in the, in the 1980s, where everything was for show and things like that. And chemical companies certainly do that. Dupont certainly does that. But what's interesting, what I found interesting, is there's a lot of liability. There are people getting sick. There are animals getting sick. There's farm animals. Um, and it, it, it's, it, you know, nobody argues that these are bad chemicals. The issue then becomes in our society that, you know, if you have animals getting sick and cancer and dying, people getting sick, you have these people who are claiming that, you know, uh, pregnancies were ended early because of that, or people are developing, you know, bone cancers or immunological cancers. Um, you know, these things, these forever chemicals are actually pretty toxic. What I found really interesting with this, and this is something that um, we, we, should, we should think about because it's not unique to this chemical company. In fact, if you looked up DuPont nowadays, you wouldn't find um, a listing, if you got its like financial statement, its exposure to pe- potential liability from these things because the lawyers get involved. But there's also right. lawyers on the chemical company side. And what I found fascinating is that despite the fact that nobody can really debate that these things are bad chemicals, there's a lot of liability there. And But what's interesting is what DuPont did is they formed a new company and spun off. They basically sold their liability to it, not sold it, but they created a new company, a new company called Keymore's. Um, And Keymore's took over the production of these plants that is making these forever, forever chemicals and has been accused by the EPA of, um, you know, uh, polluting the ground around them. There's data showing all around the lakes, the soils, these holding tanks are not working. These chemicals are in the ground. Their people are getting them in their bodies. Farm animals are getting them. And bad things, so despite all these assurances, you know, um, it's not working, and there's a lot of liability. What I found very interesting is, you know, the chemical company DuPont created a reorganized, is, I guess the mm-hmm. business word, they reorganized, created a new company, right? And that new company was sort of, they funded it. And that new fun- company basically took that liability off the books 
of the bigger, healthy company kinds of thing. It and I find that sounds like a straw man. Well, in a sense it is, but it's, it's legal. You can reorganize and do this sort of stuff. And do they fund it? Yes. Um, and so there's, it's like a thing. There was like, um, there was a, a, a lawyer for, um, for Keemers now um, who was a 14 year lawyer for DuPont. Right. And mm-hmm. when he asked, you know, when he was, was being, being asked about, you know, the, the, the exposure and, um, you know, is DuPont doing the right thing? He basically said, you know, and this is a quote, I can't represent and I don't represent, represent the DuPont company, this guy said. He previously worked at DuPont for 14 years. I do represent the Keemers company and I can tell you we are a different company. <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah, they're a different company, but the chemicals are still there. These chemicals have, you know, um, very toxic effects in, in, in every animal that it's been studied in. And when you get this environmental exposure, it's, you know, a lot of it's about dose and regulation of dose. And, you know, you really don't know how much of these things you're getting. And I found, you know, the, the, those, the, what that lawyer was saying, it's sort of like the um, corporate talking points. And it was like legal speak where they, they say something, but it doesn't really get at the heart at what, what's being asked. Um, and I found that true because, you know, you know, when the EPAs come in and looked and universities in the area have looked, they found, you know, the soil and the water contaminated like with a cocktail of 17 different of these forever chemicals, you know, Jeez. which, you know, they're saying, you know, you know, don't, just, you know, 250,000 people live in that area now. It's not in the boonies. You know, it's, it's you know, these are real problems that can happen to real people. Um, but, you know, people are concerned about stock prices. Um you know, corporate executives are not, you know, not compensated and rewarded by always doing the right thing. And it's a big deal sometimes when they do, not that they don't have a heart, but their their rewards are cash and in stock. Yeah. And if they can shed a potential liability from the balance sheets, you know, people far away like that. And it's a good thing. And it made me think, you know, how common are there corporate actions or corporate products and i'm not saying anything malicious technically was going on they're basically saying we're going to produce this product even if you know we want to produce it as cheaply as possible sometimes we know the product has you know or or byproducts of the synthesis um, are bad things and they sort of have this idea of the 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 the, they do a cost benefit analysis Mm -hmm. you know is it cheaper for us to keep doing this and doing something bad thinking, well, we might get caught. And if we get caught, it's going to cost us this many hundred thousand billion dollars. But if we're making, you know, 30 times that <laughs> from the product, they do a cost benefit. They do, a, you know, a, a present value analysis. And they say, well, even if we get caught, it's not such a bad deal. That's why I kind of don't. That, that's an example of where I don't like going by solely the numbers as much because that also leaves out the hundreds of people that now have cancer the animals that are sick the plants that are destroyed that leaves out a lot of things and i get why it's favorable but if these companies are people then shouldn't they be held to some moral standard well yeah and and, and that that's an interesting legal claim 
Um, but you know, it's like one of these things. Sometimes the companies are, are people when it, the politics is involved and they want to donate money to political causes, but the companies aren't people, they're companies, um, in, in, in like bankruptcy courts and these sort of be able to, you can't clone yourself. You can't take all the good things, Dan, you've done in your life and all the bad things and say, okay, I'm going to clone myself and I'm going to give this clone responsibility for all the bad things that I've ever done in my life and go on and you just deal with them. And I'm just going to be, I'm only going to take responsibility for the good thing because I want to keep going. Now, it's over, you know, that's an oversimplification and they do fund these things with lots of money and it does limit the liability for the parent company and the idea is it might help the parent company from going out of business because like in, you know, in the case of, um, you know, Purdue Pharma who was, you know, doing some false advertising about opiates, you know, they didn't, that company went out of business when it was found out mm -hmm. that, that they were selling. I mean, and the, the, the Sackler family made billions of dollars. The company made lots of money and, you know, there are laws and things that sort of protect those, you know, Kind of things. And so DuPont basically said, we don't want this to put us out of business. Let's spin it off. We're going to create a brand new company with, you know, yeah, we'll move some of our employees to this brand new company. They probably have a brand new CEO, a brand new board or whatever they do to make a new company. But it's basically removing the liability off the DuPont books and allow them to do all the other things that DuPont does. And it's completely legal. Right. And that new company yeah. can put on a lot of show and do a lot of different things. But like I said, the, these forever chemicals, they cause cancer, liver damage, birth defects, health, health problems and all the people. They sort of they get stuck in your body and they're there forever. They're really a long time. And it made me think. And part of where we're going with this is that what DuPont did with creating a new chemical company to continue the production of these things. There's a demand for these things. And the demand going forward is not going to go away because we want mm -hmm. those kind of conveniences. But the production of these chemicals goes back, you know, 50, 60 years and the stuff's already in the ground. And even if you create new fancy, you know, storage devices that aren't going to leak or new fancy cleaning up products, you know, it doesn't mean they don't work and it doesn't mean that the pollution's already out there. So the limit liability thing. Now, one of the answers is this is not the only time this has ever happened. It's not the only company that's been a corporate bad citizen. And I mentioned yeah. a couple others, and we're going to talk about them in the further segments. And we'll be right back for that discussion on Health 411 after some underwriting announcements. You're listening to 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. This is Health 411, truthful health information to expand your knowledge and perspective. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Repovich Institute for New Jersey Politics and Rider University. Continue your studies with Rider University's online and part-time options at rider.edu slash next step. We're back with Dr. Jonathan Karp, only on 1077 The Bronx. 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com. We are recording from Ryder University at the Digital Bronx Studios. This is Health 411, and we are having a conversation, a general conversation without going into too many details about sort of corporate bad behavior and health consequences and what corporations are doing about it and their response. A um, and we talked about uh, in the last couple segments DuPont and how DuPont was able to s create a brand new company that sort of absorbed this liability. It doesn't fix the problem. These forever chemicals are there. Nope. Um, uh, Johnson & Johnson, a New Jersey company, 
um, historically had a different that's been a, a different health problem that's been in the news for the past I don't know five years six years a bunch of years now um, yeah. about something that when my kids were little which was freely used Johnson and Johnson's baby powder very very common use it's kind of crazy to think that something like that even now is causing problems because I'm pretty sure that was used on me everyone might that was probably used up until realistically early 2000s yeah yeah and then um i haven't specifically looked but i'm willing to bet if you walked into a pharmacy now it'd be really hard to find johnson and johnson's baby powder the question is why is that well what happened was um people started to ask questions about what was in it, it the, the what they found out uh because there was some evidence that people who use Johnson and Johnson's baby powder, um, women who were, were exposed to it and breathed it in, were developing ovarian cancer at higher rates than people who weren't. And that's like, you go, like, where does that come from? Like, what's happening here? Well, it ends up that um, through a lot of research, people figured out that there were some of the containers um, that hold Johnson's baby powder had asbestos sort of in their lining so it was some asbestos now asbestos is not a good chemical nope. it, it used to be everywhere going back you know 50 70 years ago um you know it was used in floor tiles it was ceiling tiles it was in walls it was you know it's a it doesn't burn so it's a flame retardant that was used all over the place um except nowadays we know about something called like mesothelioma which is a really bad lung disease that if you have, you know, asbestos poisoning, you could die really horrible. And those lawsuits are still going on. Um, there's new ones popping up, too. Yeah. And there's like lawyers advertising on TV, you know, trying to look for class action lawsuits about mesothelioma. If you um, yeah. I think what was it? The Johns Manville Company. Um, I think it was here in New Jersey in Manville, New Jersey, was one of the major producers of asbestos. Way, you know, back in the day, I don't think that company is around anymore. But anyway, Probably so <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Around. But anyway, J and J is a corporate thing, and you know, I don't think there was anything malicious in there. I think it was my guess would be um, it was a mistake in their manufacturing process, and this happened. I would sure hope so. I would sure hope so too. But there, what do you end up having is you end up this corporate comp this company was creating a product. Right. That, in a sense, was getting into humans and then causing a really nasty disease and causing them to die. Um, and then you start seeing what was like the corporate response. What was J&J's response? And what they did, which is sort of interesting and the laws allowed this, where DuPont was able to create a new company. J&J didn't exactly do that. What they used was they used a bankruptcy law maneuver to block lawsuits over its baby powder claims. Which is really, you know, it's again, it's you're using a legal maneuver. You know, DuPont didn't do anything illegal by creating a new company. Mm -hmm. J&A didn't do anything illegal. But to protect itself from, in a sense, from a liability that's sort of unknown and unpredictable because it's years down the road, just like, you know, a forever chemical in the water or the soil, the consequences mm -hmm. might not be known for decades, right? Or, a, you know, a lifetime. Asbestos. You know, same sort of thing. It could be 20, 30 years down the road. But these these J and J actually used, um, you know, the bankruptcy laws, and they did too. You know, spun off a new company that they called um, LTL, 
Um, you know, and this LTL company was sort of given, it was funded, um, you know, it was given lots of money, but it basically protected the main entity, it protected the main um, aspect of the company in, using bankruptcy laws for this basically unknown liability of an unknown magnitude. And I find that fascinating because you have like this big company that's got lots and lots of money, which I guess they would call deep pockets that can use a legal maneuver to protect itself even after it's, you know, been associated with causing physical harm in people who are using the product. There's probably a lot of companies that couldn't afford to do that that went out of business. Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, uh, absolutely. And um, I don't know any examples of that uh, other than that, you know, you know, some of the asbestos production companies and um, things like that. But actually, there are some that, that have gone out of business. You're making me think about um, Delico. Do you remember a company called Delico many, many years ago? Yeah. How have you, they, I don't even know if they might still be around. I shouldn't say that. But what what were they known for? Do you remember? No. I remember. They made a, a, a product um, that had phenylpropylene in it. And what that was, it was something in Dexatrim. And phenylpropylene was shown to, when a lot of people took it, that to cause some heart problems, you know? And some people died of strokes. Um, some people had other heart kinds of programs. Not good stuff happening. And, you know, the product, you know, I don't think that people were maliciously putting these chemicals in their product, but if you give enough people these things, side effects do happen. Yeah. Um, you even see that nowadays with, um, you know, nobody, I mean, I hope no people would argue, you know, that the COVID vac COVID-19 vaccines are safe. But if you give it to enough people, given the heterogeneity of the, the human population, you know, statistically almost unlikely, but could it happen? Could like there be a negative side effect or a negative consequence? Absolutely, it's a, it's a possibility. Yeah. Um, and so some companies, you know, can do that. Like, um, you could say Purdue Pharma went out of business because what you know found out what they were doing. They were lying to people about <laughs> the addictive abilities of the drugs, um, and um, you know of what they're going to do about it. And I think there were some smaller pharmaceutical companies related to the opioid thing. It's not just Purdue Pharma. Was it Insys? Pharmaceuticals, mm -hmm. I think, was a smaller one related to that. Um, that. That you know, whatever. And you still see that those legal cases are going on. Um, but anyway, the point is that Johnson and Johnson, this big corporate entity, when something with negative health consequences was discovered, it was you know sort of a good. You know, they had good lawyers, right? And what mm -hmm. the lawyer's job is to protect the company, to keep it from you know, to limit its, its negative exposure, limit its liability, keep its balance sheet positive, right? So what they, can they do? They can start a new company in, under bankruptcy law. If, if it's approved by a bank, bankruptcy judge, you can sort of do it, yeah. right? Um, I think um, a lot of the, the for, there was, there was um, actually, in my poking around, and when I was thinking about this, I actually found, a law uh, a law review article written by um, in the in the la Yale Law Review Journal um, written by a professor um, and he called these things bankruptcy grifters. These are companies that use the bankruptcy laws to sort of protect themselves from negative negative exposure, negative financial exposure, even after they've done some you know putting products out there that have negative health consequences for people. I find that fascinating.
I also kind of find it fascinating because when you think about it, there's also a lot of chemical pollution from the general population itself. Everyone who takes any sort of medication or even a vitamin supplement is essentially going to be peeing a lot of that out into the environment. Absolutely. That's why people's urine changes color too, but it's not even just vitamin supplements. Think about all the, all the, the women um, or even the guys because they like the taste who take birth control pills, right? Um, a lot of those hormones go into the water supply. Water treatment plants are not designed to remove steroid hormones from the water. And those steroid hormones that are used in birth control pills are estrogenic compounds and um, progesterone compounds and they do affect frogs downstream not just frogs but wildlife right yeah. and and you know you you were joking in the in the segment about um, you know some feminizing of frogs or something like that but that can happen because you end up have all these estrogenic compounds in the water supply and these things have an effect on the wildlife in the water yeah. around around where they are and you know now it's been so if you say birth control pills were you know, part of the sexual revolution in the 1960s, you know, we're 60 years past that now. And yes, have the, the, have the levels of hormones in the pills come way, way down? Absolutely, than they were in the 60s and 70s. But the fact remains that these compounds are put out into the water. They're not cleaned up. People eat them. They're used in food. They're used for watering plants. They're in the streams. Frogs, lizards, fish are all exposed to these things. Do they have effects on physiology and behavior? You're laughing because they op they, they yeah, do. They do. They do. They're just they're steroid hormones that are, you know, they're not water soluble, <laughs> you know, but they're they'll get into cells of your body. They you know, they yeah. go right through it, which is actually sort of cool. It's actually sort of cool. Now, anyway, we will talk about more examples of corporate and environmental chemicals. Um, on Health 411, and we'll be back after these underwriting announcements. You're listening to 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. This is Health 411, truthful health information to expand your knowledge and perspective. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Repovich Institute for New Jersey Politics and Rider University. Continue your studies with Rider University's online and part-time options at rider.edu slash next step. We're back with Dr. Jonathan Karp, only on 1077 The Bronx. 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com. Welcome back to Health 411, um, a radio show here on the campus of Ryder University. We are having a conversation today about the, sort of the corporate response to things that they've put into the environment that um, potentially have negative effects on physiology and behavior, even if it's not immediate over long amounts of time. And Dan, in, in this last segment, there was there was a, one that examples of things you wanted to talk about. So yeah, there's examples of pollution from medications we take. Obviously, we're kind of in the era of medication where you know there's almost nothing that they don't have some sort of pill or prescription for, and. Recently, what I'm seeing is, well, I'm seeing one specific article where even in a country like Madrid there, or, well, Spain, 
they're finding large amount of pollution in the rivers based off of psychoactive pharmaceuticals, which is a fancy term for like depression medication. Well, not necessarily depression, like certain powerful anxiety medications, certain powerful painkillers, stuff that essentially when you take it, you feel like an immediate perceptual difference, mm -hmm. I guess, a high of sorts. Mm -hmm. And so the idea would be, and again, this, you're making analogy with some of the steroid hormones that are in birth control pills. There are a lot of people in our society, and in first world nations, even other, other nations around the world, who are taking psychoactive chemicals. And psychoactive chemicals are not just things like alcohol um, or marijuana or you know, um, ecstasy or things like mm -hmm. that that people take. They also include things that people take that are a little bit more, you know, they're, they're not taking recreationally to get high. And like antidepressants are some of those. Right. And a large number of people, especially since the boom of Prozac in the, in the mid to late 1980s, um, when serotonin selective reuptake inhibitors were very, became very popular. Now there's lots and lots of examples of those. There's serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors. Um, and there's all these other antidepressant kind of medicines which are getting more and more specific with the idea being that the side effects um, are a lot less. Um, but one, what happens? These things, people take them um, and some of them are used by the body, but some of those things are excreted by the body as well. And not all of the compounds that are excreted by the body are sulfonated or in a sense made biologically inert um, by the liver before they're excreted. And these things can get into the food and water supply. Yeah, and it's kind of an interesting thing to think about because... Realistically speaking, we think, you know, when we take something or something of that nature, it's all going into our body. Just like how when we're breathing, we like to think we're getting all the oxygen, but that's really not the case. Our body just kind of takes a bit, then passes the rest along. And that's not that bad if it's one person, like once a day, but if it's hundreds of thousands of people over, well, technically decades. For example, LSD has been out since the early 1900s. If you look at all those decades, that's a lot of stuff that may or may not be broken down. Well, be careful. I, I, nobody is saying that LSD is... In levels out in the environment, yeah. and we went the you know I mean the, the sex drugs and rock and roll became very popular in the 1950s. The drug was made illegal, and there wasn't a lot of LSD use um, for a long time. It's just coming up again now, but it's, they're doing microdosing nowadays. The idea mm -hmm. is to do microdosing to treat um, you know uh, drug resistant depressions kind of stuff. So I'm picking on you because I don't know if LSD is the best example, but like yeah. the, 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 the antidepressants or how about some of the anti-anxiety medicines that it's are- It's a that, that, lot more of yeah, that stuff. Yeah, that stuff that a lot of people take that are very, very common. And people take these things sort of routinely without even thinking. And when Dan says, you know, people think though they take a drug and it, all of the drug becomes biologically active, that's just not 
that just does not match the physiology of it because mm-hmm. some of the drug is going to be catabolized. So it's, going to be, it's going to be changed into something else. Some of the drug is going to be neutralized by being bound to some sort of protein. Um, some of the drug will probably be destroyed in the GI tract. And the only drug that's going to be delivered um, in the case of like an anti-anxiety kind of drug, which you want to get into your, your nervous system, is stuff that get, survives the GI tract, gets into your blood, and get through the blood-brain barrier and get into your brain. Right. So all these sort of things have to happen. It's usually some relatively small percentage of the stuff that's actually taken. So if you take five milligrams of an anti-anxiety kind of drug, five milligrams are not getting to your nervous system tissue. Right? Mm-hmm. A lot of it is changed, excreted, goes to places um, that it's not going to have the effect you want it to be. Um, you pee some of it out, you poop some of it out. You know, you know what I mean? It depends what the drug is. Like in this paper, I'm looking, and what they actually see saw is in about 80% of the sites they sampled, they were antidepressant, fluorexetines. Well, without getting into it too much, in the majority of sites they sampled, there were multiple types of anticonvulsants, antidepressants, anti-anxiety medications. And these sites are water? Yeah, they're the rivers in Spain. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Like, a re- I imagine, you know, people don't typically think about the beautiful rivers of Madrid as... I don't want to say filled with this stuff, but as having, you know, all these residues in it. But the reality... I'm I'm going to be even stronger. If plastics and plastic bags and beer bottles and water bottles were floating down the river, people would be horrified by the pollution of this stuff floating around. The things we're talking about, these chemicals, you can't see by looking at the river and, you know, they look sort of pretty and nice. Um, You know, people are horrified by plastics in the ocean, but... There are all these chemicals floating around, man-made chemicals that people are putting in, not just because they're chemical plants that are polluting, but it's also these are pharmaceutical agents, they're drugs agents that are get that are humans are put you know, peeing out and pooping out into the supply. But I'm also gonna say what what you know, what are people recommended to do when you have, you know, when the cops show up, you'll flush the drugs down the toilet, right? These yeah. things go into the into the water supply and the treatment, the, the, the water treatment plants are, you know, whether in the U.S. or in the Spain are not designed to remove these things, you know, yeah. could they possibly remove, but it's probably just too expensive to do. So over millions of people doing this for decades, right? It, you know, it's not just frogs and lizards in the water. It's, it can affect these things. Yeah. And again, there's always a dose response curve. And that's one of the things we need an environmental protection agency. We need science because how do we know how much of something in the water or in the food or in something we're going to digest is safe? Right. You know, is there, you know, it, it, how much is safe? And the only way to figure that out is through science. And there's also other questions like, does it compound? How long does it take to get out of somewhere once it's in there? Things like that. It's a very... Right. And the only way to know is to do the science and study it. You know, our previous political administration um, eviscerated the EPA, right? Mm Because it was very pro-corporate America. And you, I mean, I would argue you can be pro-corporate America and not 
be dangerous to American citizens. I would argue you could be pro-corporate America by studying these things, understanding you know, how to remediate, what are safe levels, how to safely produce these things and do them, right. and not, not just abolish the EPA because the, the, the rules that they come up with are burdensome. Um, for people. So where we started in the first segment, you know, if you had a strong EPA, you know, granted, some of these problems are, you know, decades old, but if you had a strong EPA and you had good science, in the end, it could protect a lot of these companies from all these legal maneuvers that it has to do, right? If you follow Mm -hmm. these guidelines and you can do products that are safe, that they are not going to hurt people over the long term. And then these companies would be protected by the laws that they followed. Emphasis on good science, though. Yeah, you're right. It has to be good science because if you put you put bad data into it, it doesn't matter. But as you know, right. it doesn't matter what the statistics say. You want good science with good data, and then you can interpret the results. And um, I'm all about you know an argument of, or what you if these are the data. You could argue about what they mean and what to do about it. But if you had good data, at least you can make informed decisions right. about what's going on. And if corporations or entities, corporations would not have to spend you know millions of dollars on lawyers trying to get out of liability if they could protect themselves and use um, the rules and regulations. And I would I would I would think is if you had a company. Um, at least friends of mine who work for some, you know, big oil companies are all for appropriate regulations that balance not just people's emotional response to things, but look at the data. You know, um, mm-hmm. in, 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 you know, <laughs> I'll just bring it up, Dan. Um, in the break, you brought up the idea of like oil spills, right? Yeah, right. oil spills like the New Horizon thing that blew up. That was horrible. It's a mess. But remember, I mean, it killed lots of marine life and all those sort of things. But oil is a natural product, right? There are bacteria that over time will break up the oil spill. It'll be dispersed. It'll, you know, it'll, it'll, you know, yeah, it's horrible, mm-hmm. all these things, but it's a natural product from the earth. It's not a man-made forever chemical, right. you know? Um, yeah, it, when, it, when so much is released in a short amount of time, it's, yeah, it's an environmental catastrophe. But, you know, it's not like a forever chemical that is not going to be broken down. In fact, it's, it used to be organic matter, Right. That's what makes it. Yeah. Right. So it's sort of cool. Well, anyway, um, we're sort of running out of time. We'll end the program. Um, this is 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com. We're recording Health 411 from the Lawrenceville campus of Ryder University. This program is part of the university's efforts to bring people together to address issues associated with all aspects of health and healthcare, the politics of health and the politics of healthcare. We hope today's conversation has given us some things to think about, something to ponder. Um, if you have questions and or comments about this program or want to make suggestions for future broadcasts, please email us at health411 at rider.edu. That was this week's episode of Health 411 with Dr. Jonathan Karp. Tune in every Sunday at 10 a.m. to learn truthful information about your health and the healthcare industry. Missed an episode? No worries. You can subscribe to a free weekly episode of Health 411 to listen to on your favorite podcasting platform, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever. The Rider University Health Studies Institute presents Health 411, underwritten in part by the Repovich Institute for New Jersey Politics and Rider University. Rider offers continuing studies programs for adults who need flexibility. Want to add new skills to your resume? Take a continuing studies course at Rider University. We'll see you soon, only on 1077 The Bronx.